2: What is up? It is part two of the Rippy Rights podcast with Weldon Rodenberg, powered by Twisted T. If you made it through part one, I appreciate you joining us over here for the part two aspect. As I mentioned earlier, it's for advertising purposes and trying to keep the general length of the podcast down. So thanks for joining us over here for part two. We talked a little more about defensive observations from the first game, talked about the handling of the quarterback situation. Then we took a look around the results across the sec and then of course the fastest growing segment at the end soccer corner so buckle up before we get to t- part two they want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by cspire time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with cspire home fiber the past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family that's why cspire home provides the most reliable internet service with 99 percent uptime cspire also provides prides themselves With the best customer service in the in-home Internet market, their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low-call wait time. C Spire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit Internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the southern Alabama region. C Spire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home Internet plans. Save yourself the hassle, but not waiting for your Internet connection to drop with the other guys Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code Rippy R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. So if you're signing up for internet right now just for listening to this podcast, you get your first month free just by typing in that promo code Rippy. Check them out, cspire customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit will sleep eight comfortably. It's gated. It offers amenities such as tennis courts a spa, a pool, and it's right there, less than a mile from the old Miss campus off of Old Taylor Road. Please go take advantage of this deal. The Vandy Football Weekend is still available. Everything else, Football Weekend is booked up, but Vandy Football Weekend is still available. And then, of course, any other time, Thanksgiving holidays, maybe coming up for basketball games this year. Go ahead and book your stay at rentthesipoxford.com. Right there off Tail Road, Bracken Ray, great guy, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It can be tough to find a place to stay on busy weekends in Oxford. Maybe you don't want to deal with the hotel and get a more at-home feeling environment. This is exactly what you're getting in RentTheSipOxford.com. Check out their Turnberry unit today. Go online to RentTheSipOxford.com and check availabilities. And then when you check out, use the promo code RIPPYWRIGHTS for 100 bucks off any two-night minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com, a great place to stay, a tremendous location that you should take advantage of today. All right, here's part two of Walden Rodenberg. One thing I had written down, the speed issue aside on the back end of the defense, a very quiet transfer pickup that seems like it might be a good one because it was at a huge position to me. Zamari Walton from Georgia Tech, I thought he looked pretty good in this game. He had a nice pass breakup. I was impressed with how he looked in a very limited sample size, but just not a guy you heard a ton about as far as attention and, you know, one of the higher profile guys
1: they had in the portal, but he was out there. He started and I thought he played pretty well. One of the few guys in the back end who has like the size and length that you expect out of deep out of defensive players in the sec. Um, he looks the part. He had a really good pass breakup on a guy that kind of beat him by a half step. But that's what length does is you can lose by a half step and still make the play. Uh, I thought he played really well. I thought he played a lot of snaps. Uh, I thought Deontay Prince looked good out there. He You know exactly what he is. Um, he's like a he, – I wouldn't say lockdown, but he's pretty close to it compared to what Ole Miss has had in the past. Uh, he's just incredibly solid. Knows exactly what he's doing. He can absolutely make a play on the ball if he needs to. Uh, I thought the corners were fine. I, they were definitely playing very off coverage, letting it come in front of them and making plays like you've seen from you know defenses in the past. For me, it was the safety spot that I was a little concerned about, especially when they were you know Mercer was throwing some of these kind of tunnel screens and outside you know bubbles where, you know, the corners are doing their job and leaking the ball on the inside, and you would expect a guy to be there, and sometimes he was just a step or two late um, with Aishem Young and Washington, and uh, I think who else was there? Uh, White was there a few times. Um, So that's Anthony. Yeah, Dejan Anthony. He had an interception, which was good, but it was kind of thrown right to him. Uh, But guess what? Make the play when it's there. Um, So I'd be interested to see how they rotate those guys. Um, because that is a definitely an area of concern for me. Um, And look, they didn't do anything, you know, crazy wrong. It's just, you look at Trey Washington out there, and I remember Trey Washington as a recruit. You know, he was a really solid player, but not exactly the size, size speed, length, ratio you want. But clearly he's gained some trust with Golding on what to do. And at the end of the day, at safety, that's the most important thing. But I don't know what the upside of that position is just yet. And look, it's Mercer. So there's time and there's effort and there's more things you can focus on for Tulane, but it was really something that caught my eye.
2: And you knew this would be a question mark and potentially an issue they're trying to cope with because they've lost Tysheem Johnson. They lost Davidson, Igbenison, and Look at how heavy they went at defensive back, or excuse me, safety in general, just in the secondary in the portal. Is like they, I think they felt like that was something they really needed to have a short term fix for before they could fix it. You know, long term with building depth through the high school ranks, they went and got a bunch of dudes, and I think there was a reason for that. So that's something that's going to have to be sorted sorted out. Last thing on this, just general question: If there's a like, if if Ole Miss ends up being a team that you think lacks some speed on the back end but it seemingly has a little bit more depth up front. Is there anything you can do schematically to cater to that and try to mask what you lack on the back end?
1: I mean, well, you could – I mean, I don't know the exact answer to that question, which shows how much I know about defense. I think the one positive on if you may have a speed issue is that you have so much depth up front that you're, you're stopping the run. Maybe you can try to get to the passer using some different you know pressures – in order to have the guys back there not, you know, guarding as much as they can. uh, You can play a little bit more zone, a little bit less man-to-man. And I obviously, you know, have not broken down this film. So I don't know how much man-to-man they played in this game. Uh, but I am, you know, pretty confident in the corners they put out there, which I think is really good. And honestly, the most important uh, position on defense, especially the way that people play offense these days, you know, safety is probably like the least valuable, at least, you know, at the NFL level, college level, it's pretty nice to have a, a guy out there that can kind of hold things down. Um, I, this is not, like I said, this is not some siren of like a massive issue. It's just an observation off of one game and, you know, we're not taking too much out of it. Uh, but you, we just can't go out there and praise them 24-7 for, you know, only giving up one touchdown to Mercer. You know, you have to look at things and be able to project on what they're going to play. And like I've said 10 times already, and I would keep saying it, you're going to learn a lot about this team next week because Tulane is legitimately good.
2: One uh, area I am sounding the alarm on, we have two kickers named Caden, Caden Davis and Caden Costa played. I I just assumed it was Caden Costa's job once he came back from his uh, suspension for failing a drug test. Uh, But
1: (laughs) yes, that did happen.
2: They, 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 (laughs) They brought a second guy out there. I, get, I mean, I'm a halfway joking here, but I, I thought that was just strange. I mean, I, I don't know why they, they played both of them. Maybe it was just to get a couple different looks. I don't really know. But uh, Caden Costa, when he was eligible to play, was pretty damn good. And now we got another Caden gunning for his job. So uh, that's something I'll have my eye on to some degree. Like, in all seriousness, who comes out when they have a 45-yarder in the second quarter they need to make? I would assume it's Caden Costa, but if that were the case, why not just let him kick as often as possible in a game?
1: That's a great question. I do not know. I mean, you've seen in the past some crazy teams have had like the short field goal kicker and the long Saban field. been did
2: kick. that for a while.
1: Yeah. Um, so maybe that's what they were doing because I feel like I saw Caden Davis come out on like the 30 yarder and then Costa came out on a little bit longer one. Uh, but I actually don't even remember how many field goals they kicked. So that says a lot about how much I'm focusing on the kicking game um but i have no idea absolutely no idea why they did that maybe it's the same thing as offensive line just getting guys out there some some game time reps and some real pressure to kick which is probably the, the case scenario
2: yeah that was probably it i think it was just the one field goal i think they scored what the 10 tu- 10 touchdowns and then had the field goal to add on that'll get you to 73 uh this has been math corner but uh that well, was good math yeah <laughs> and then the last <laughs> thing was kind of of, like hop around the uh hop around and look at some other games and just talk about what's ahead for Ole Miss. The quarterback thing was interesting. We talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but just Kiffin not naming a starter, everyone seemingly knowing it was going to be Jackson Dart. Dart was going to take about 95 of the first team reps. Um, And then, you know, there there was no exact plan seemingly of when – uh, Spencer Sanders was going to come in the game, but he comes in the game, and you know, again, all three quarterbacks against a very much inferior opponent looked pretty good. Sanders yeah. had some moments, pushed the ball down the field in his first couple drives pretty well. But just, what do you make of this? Like, do you do you buy into Kiffin's idea that if you just leave, never publicly declare anything and you leave it quote a competition that it breeds the best in everyone? It seems to be a very unconventional approach. There was. We, we haven't done a podcast since Dart and Sanders both went uh, had media available the same day. Dart was clearly frustrated by it. Um, seemed like Sanders took almost an unintentional shot at Dart in some ways that they cut from the video feed, but Neil obviously wrote it in his story. There was some weirdness there. What do you make of the way this is being handled, not necessarily how they played on the field?
1: Um, Jeez, I, I think it's, it's confusing. pretty silly. I, I think it's pretty silly the way it's being handled. Um, I understand kind of where they're going with this. I guess they're trying to keep everybody happy and keep everybody on their toes. Um, But when you're talking about issues with culture and not being able to choose a guy that it seems like almost every teammate is confident in and dart, it does begin to you know, become a little confusing on, on how everything's being handled. And maybe he will shock us today and come out and say, yes, Dart is our starting quarterback. Spencer Sanders may play, which I think you could say, and you'd be in the exact same scenario, right? Right. I don't, like, that is, like, the biggest thing to me is, like, why don't you just say Dart starting and that we expect to play Spencer Sanders at some point? And if you don't play Sanders, then that's fine, because that means Dart was really, really good. You can come back the next week in Georgia Tech and say the exact same thing. And at least the team and everybody else is like, OK, somebody won this competition, even though I think we're pretty sure he absolutely already won it. Uh, but you just don't have to have this like kind of external kind of cloud around this position. Um, look, he played really well. They've done a great job developing all three quarterbacks. So you can't really knock them on that. Uh, but I just don't fully understand the, the concept behind the way they're handling this. Um I don't know. I think you will see Dart play against Tulane and unless there's catastrophe with the way he plays, I think he'll play every snap.
2: I think that will be the case too and again it'll be interesting to see what cuz the the whole thing we were kind of heard throughout the off season was that, you know, however it shook out that you'd have uh, Walker Howard as QB2 and it didn't shake out that way in this game at all. Clearly Sanders is the second one up there. He gets the next few series and then Walker Howard came in at the end. I again, it's it's just difficult to try to figure out the strategy behind it. It's not necessarily questioning it. Um, you know, Kiffin and and everyone the staff knows a hell of a lot more about football than I do. I just find the whole thing interesting because from what I understand, Sanders took a decent chunk of nil money, and so like there clearly was some value in having it here and some plan for having him here. But then between that and the Walker Howard thing, the Sanders role was just inter is is confusing to me. And I guess tomorrow, if Dart tweaks an ankle or something, second series. Against Tulane, it's Sanders coming in the game,
1: right? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent a fact. And look, Sanders looked pretty good on Saturday. He did, I mean, yes. And for the nineteenth time, it was Mercer. Um, but this kid's not scared. That that's an he's absolute a four year
2: starter a Big Twelve program that made it All Big Twelve team. One went to a Big Twelve championship game. He, he he's not he's you know what he is, and it's not bad.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, I mean, he will chunk it downfield if it's there, which I think is something that. Going into this decision was probably a factor of like, hey, this guy can do what we need to do if we want to go deep. Whereas Dart at least struggled a little bit in that last year. um But at the end of the day, like you, do, you can only have one starting quarterback, and I think they found their guy. And it would be nice for him to get at least some sort of recognition, though it doesn't really make a huge difference. But it, it's not nothing either. um I, I think Sanders has proven that he is absolutely a second string quarterback, which makes a lot of. Things we've heard about Walker Howard, you know, interesting to say the least. Um, but Howard played, and shit, he looked good, I would say, for what we saw. Um, but that's not exactly shocking. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Um, I think they're confident in Sanders. I don't know what they're going to put in, like, a package for him. Um, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, because I don't know exactly what he does dramatically different than Dart. Uh, but he's a little bit bigger. Maybe he can kind of go in and run, or you know, if they have a kind of a trick play, deep ball, they can throw it to him. It doesn't really matter. You know, they're gonna have to play really well to beat Tulane, and I think Dart's gonna be the guy out there doing it.
2: Yeah, I do too. And at the end of the day, having Spencer Sanders, a guy that again started four years at another Power Five, not point, a negative. Yeah, that's not, not a negative at all. Having that as your second string quarterback. Is huge. The only reason I really brought up the handling of it is just because you could tell throughout this past week it did bother darts on Neil asked Dart straight up uh, after the game point blank of you know does it bother you're not publicly named the starter and he kind of gave a similar answer to what he did at Arkansas last year when asked about the rumors of Kiffin leaving, he started the answer with, I'm just trying to control what I can control. And so you can tell yeah. it bothers him a bit at the end of the day, if he continues to play well, it's not going to matter at all. But that's the only reason I brought it up is just, I don't know. I would like to have my starting quarterback, not
1: really bothered by a whole hell of a lot when I could have Tulane on Saturday. Yeah. And I, I watched, cause like, like you said, you literally texted me after we finished our pod last week like, damn, like we missed some quarterback stuff here. In those interviews. <laughs> we should have was a day. Like, I was like, all right, like let me go listen to it. And yes, when you read it on paper, what Sanders said was definitely like kind of eye opening about like the ice cream and whatnot. But when you kind of watch him say it, I think this guy's just a pretty monotone dude. And I think what he was saying was like, yeah, like we're cordial, like we're good, we're competing, um, we are not best friends, and. Like, I don't think that should shock anybody. These guys don't fucking know each other. <laughs> right. Sanders has been here for four months. Like, they're not expected to be best of friends. Whereas, like, you can see sometimes in quarterback competitions where the guys are genuinely like competing. They have known each other for a year or two. Like, that's a totally different dynamic. That is not what Spencer Sanders is here for. Um, and we know that. Well, at least we think we know that. So I don't think I took away is like. It was some big hoopla after watching it, but again, you know, all of this could be mitigated by just naming Dart the starter and saying Spencer Sanders will probably play.
2: And then being the body language judge that I am, uh, they like every time that seeming they the camera showed dart go to the sideline after they scored or something, like Sanders is right there, like exactly you know, enjoy, but it's, you- it's it's not really anything. I don't think like you said, it sounded worse than maybe the way it was intended. So I don't know, it'll be interesting, but uh it'll be Jackson Dart rolling out there next week. Um, so as we kind of turn the attention to next week, there was a time in this offseason where I thought, Hey, could Georgia tech actually be a sneakily more difficult game than Tulane for Ole Miss? And Ash, after watching Tulane beat South, uh, South Alabama team that won 10 games last year, the way they did, I saw the line chase put out there that the line opened up at like three and a half. I've seen it all the way up to like six, but I mean, this yeah. is clearly a game that Ole Miss is going to have to play very well to win. And my theory, even though Georgia Tech looked pretty good against Louisville for most of that game with Haynes King quarterback, my mm. thought process of could that be a tougher game than Tulane, I'm going to go ahead and scratch that one and throw that one in the trash. I think them going to Tulane next week is going to be a really, really tough test.
1: Yeah, I don't think that that take and thought process, I know Siski said the same thing, was like unheard of before the season started. And I don't necessarily even think it's completely wrong. Um, I think Georgia Tech will present some different issues that Tulane may not. Uh, But Tulane has a better coach and a better quarterback, and it's on the road. I think it's absolutely going to be a more difficult game than Georgia Tech. Um, South Alabama was expected to be a pretty good team going into this year, and Tulane handled them with, like, relative ease. Uh, They looked really good. I think they have warranted the ranking they have. They've warranted the height they have. Uh, Pratt is a legitimate quarterback. He's a good The guy that's going to be competing to be an NFL draft pick in the top three rounds. I mean, he's got size, athleticism. He's got some grit. Um, He's physical. He definitely got a little bit banged up at the end of that game, if you saw. Uh, I was watching it, and for whatever reason, the game was completely out of hand, and they ran him three straight quarterback draws. and The last one, he kind of got up limping, uh, which would be something to monitor going into this week. I'm sure he will be fine. Uh, but they're legit. Um, that's going to be a real road game. That's going to be, I'm going to be there. I know there's going to be a lot of Ole Miss fans there. Um, but I mean, it's going to be hot as hell. It's going to be on turf, which is something they haven't played on, um, a whole lot. It's it's a different kind of deal. You know, it's not everything, but it's not nothing either. Um, they're going to have to be on their, on their shit because if not, they will lose this game. I don't expect them to lose this game. Um, But one thing I always pay attention to is that Vegas does not lose money a whole lot. And you definitely saw that this weekend uh, with the way some of these uh, spreads ended up. Um, It's a six point spread. There's a reason for that. Um, That doesn't mean Ole Miss can't confidently and easily beat this team. But if they're not on it, they're not on their P's and Q's. They don't have it on defense. They will lose. Um, It'll be very, very fascinating.
2: I mean, it's a matchup of two top twenty-five teams in a non-conference game, and all misses is the road team. I mean, that's that's about as simple as way you can put it. This is going to be a tough one, and you know, for for better or for worse, between this and Georgia Tech the next week. Last year was weird because we spent almost half the season basically doing what we've done with this Mercer game where the whole caveat was we'll see when they go to Baton Rouge, whenever that was in middle October. For better or for worse, you're going to know a hell of a lot more about what this team is when they play Alabama and Tuscaloosa than you did before their first real SEC game last year. You will know a ton more, and I think we'll learn a lot over these next eight quarters where we will have a much better beat on what this team is and could be than we did even into the month of October last year.
1: No, yeah, I think it's a great thing that they're playing this game. I think it's a great thing they're playing on the road, that they're playing it at Tulane on on campus. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Personally, I'm selfishly really excited because I'm going to the game and then going to the Saints game the next day. Um, So it's going to be a very long weekend in New Orleans. Um, But it's a great precursor for Alabama because, no, You know, Yulman Stadium is not Brian Denny, but it's going to be a pretty hectic atmosphere. Um, It's going to be a really exciting game. It's going to be debatably the second biggest game this weekend behind Texas, Alabama. If you look at the slate, uh, I know A&M goes to Miami, um, but like in terms of top 25 matchups, I think it's the only other one as of right now. So there's going to be a lot of hype. There's going to be a lot of, quote unquote, rat poison going into this game um, on both sides. There is going to be I cannot tell you how many people are going to be picking Tulane to win this game. It is going to be the most darling of darling home dogs. You'll see maybe all season. Um, So they're going to have to be ready for it. They're going to have to be mentally focused, mentally prepared. I know for a fact that they have been looking at this game throughout the Mercer week, throughout the whole preseason. I mean, they've probably been putting in scout defenses that are Tulane. They have probably been putting scout defenses that are Alabama. Um, It's just one of those things that you do. And I mean, I'm really excited. I think he's got a chance to be a really good game. I am absolutely picking Ole Miss to win. I think that at the end of the day, they've got more athletes. They have more depth. Tulane defensively is, you know, not the team they were last year. They've lost – I mean, they had two really good linebackers. They're not there anymore. Taiji Spears is not there anymore. But this is going to be a different quarterback level than, honestly, they've played since Bryce Young in Alabama last year. I mean – this guy's—he's a different player than KJ. I mean, he's—I don't know. Think he's not better than KJ, but he's definitely a different player uh, than him. And I honestly think he's better than Will Rogers. And this is not the air raid where you're expecting a pass every single play. Uh, so it'll be a fun game. I think Ole Miss will win, like I said. But like, like we're gonna have to stress—you're gonna know a lot more about this team.
2: Looking around the STC and just kind of getting a gauge of the conference, the first weekend obviously began on Thursday night with uh, Florida and Utah. Boy, we talked about it a little bit before that our guy Kyle Whittingham juxtaposed with the fact that Vegas only had Florida's over-under season win total at five and a half. Uh, like you said, the men in the desert, they won again because uh that game was not close. It did not matter that Cam Rising did not play. And if there's if there's a team at the bottom of the SEC who feels worse about itself after a week, it's got to be Florida and Billy Napier. I was shocked by how bad that looked. Their offensive line was completely overwhelmed. They didn't really have much of an answer to stop Utah running the football. I, was, I thought that game would be close, and I was very shocked at the lopsidedness of it that you could really tell from the opening series.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: Utah went into that game with a bona fide plan of how they're going to attack this Florida team with a backup quarterback. Florida went into that game with what looked like a script from a scrimmage. I mean, it was just bizarre. They could not run the football, which means they couldn't use play-action pass. Mertz looked like a deer in headlights for like the first quarter. Um, He actually did not play 10 Terrible. I thought he was the okay the game like I, he did not suck I thought that the offensive game plan gave him absolutely no help but um, one series uh, towards the second half of the game where they went a little bit up tempo and actually got the ball to athletes they finally looked like a team that you thought they might be
2: but, but then they, they know, stopped they, doing
1: it they just they just didn't do it they, they just did not do it um, they played against their strengths uh, they did not look very good Utah manhandled them Um, pretty much the entire game. I mean, it started from the jump with a absolute 60-yard duck that the Florida DBs just, like, could not find in the air. And that really set the tempo for the rest of the game. Um, It's a tough look for Billy Napier. I mean, look, I've said a million times, I think this guy's a good football coach. And I'm not going to change that yet, (laughs) despite what that looks like, because I do think that defensively, with the exception of that, like, really long pass, they, they were not bad. By any means, they looked pretty athletic. Uh, But at the end of the day, they got kind of manhandled by a team playing a true freshman third string and like a walk-on second string. You can't just hand-wave that away. Uh, It's a massive question mark. And that schedule, like we've talked about, is an absolute gauntlet. So this is just the first of many. um, And they better have a different plan going into some of these games in the future because they're looking like a 4-8 and team.
2: They really are. And that would, you know, fall right around that win total. So that was that was a surprising one to me. South Carolina, North Carolina, where I was in the day, I didn't get to watch a ton of this game, uh, at least from not at least not focusing. I was in a loud, crowded area for a decent portion of it. But uh, I was uh, mildly surprised by – I thought North Carolina might end up being a bad team with a really good quarterback. I wasn't necessarily knowing what to expect from them offensively post-long They looked a hell of a lot better than uh, South Carolina does. And if you look at South Carolina's schedule, that could legitimately be a team that's like one and four when they play Florida at home. Their schedule is brutal. They really needed that one. And after about the first 16, 18 minutes of that game, uh, North Carolina really just dominated it.
1: I mean, I thought South Carolina, what they did – Excuse me. And what Florida did, they kind of mirrored each other. It's like they took the ball out of the hands of their athletes and were trying to like, you know, establish the line of scrimmage that they just didn't have. And like they just did not adjust to it at all, because when they let Spencer Sanders kind of like do his thing and rip the ball Rattler. down the field and make. Oh,
2: sorry, Rattler. <laughs> yeah. I knew what you mean, but it's someone out there was going to drop him crazy.
1: Oh, my God. I know. Um, When they let Rattler do his thing and, like, throw the ball down the field and get outside of the pocket, like, he was actually pretty damn effective. And then very similar to, like, what LSU – what happened to LSU against Florida State, like, in the second half, they just completely didn't do anything. And North Carolina, a team that has played shit defenses for, like, every year under Mac Brown, looked like absolute, like, juggernauts out there. Um, Drake May is really damn good like he's really really good. Um I had some not I didn't have question marks about him but like there were games last year where he showed it and there was games last year we didn't and he came in with a shit ton of hype and played fantastic. Um so that was definitely a shocker. That was one of the sharpest sides of the weekend by money. Um almost all of the money was on North Carolina where like a lot of tickets were pretty much split. Um so that was pretty interesting good one for Vegas. Um it it South Carolina Similar to Florida, similar to LSU, I don't want to like completely take this team out of context and completely throw them away after week one, uh, but you can only go off of what you've seen so far, and it was not great.
2: No, and their schedule is not going to do them any favors going forward, much like Florida, particularly in the first half of the year. I didn't really watch much of uh, Virginia, Tennessee. Virginia is not very good, and Tennessee looked the part offensively. I thought Milton was pretty good. Again, wait and see on them. I didn't watch any of State and Southeastern Louisiana. Did you catch I watched it? a little bit. Uh, yeah, give me I what you saw game. on that. I have not really seen the Bulldogs yet other than a handful of plays. What did you think?
1: Yeah, so I was slipping back and forth between Auburn and State just because it's SEC, and there wasn't exactly a lot of you know fantastic games uh, yesterday or Saturday afternoon. Uh, they definitely started off like –
0: Really real slow.
1: Real, real slow. Um now Southeastern kind of had some script stuff that were pretty good. And uh I know that this similar to the this defense. This is a brand new offense for Mississippi State. Um, uh, I, I think it's just one of those games where it takes a little bit of time to get motivated to play a lesser opponent. Um defensively, I thought Mississippi State looked pretty good. Um, I think they had a pretty solid front seven. Um I think offensively. The kid, the Whitmore kid, the true freshman, looked pretty damn dynamic. Um, Tulu got hurt early in the game. You know he's been very hit or miss for them. Sometimes he's great, sometimes he's not. And then Will Rogers was the exact same Will Rogers you see every single year. He completes the easy throws. The balls down the field were kind of hit or miss. He's semi-athletic. He's just fine. He is a good. He's a good college quarterback. Probably not going to lose you games, probably not going to win you games that you need to win. I'm not, like, putting any alarms or any, like, massive, you know, check this later in the season on Mississippi State based off the Southeastern. Uh, But they look kind of like what you'd expect, a team learning their offense that still has a pretty salty defense.
2: We'll get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorable punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up at any occasion, especially if you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar or hosting friends at home twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to an unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Can't wait to see the week one college football results from Skybox. Hope you hopped on that and took advantage of it. You can go online today, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out a picks package in your price range, whether it's college, NFL, still crushing it on Skybox NASCAR. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Whatever you want to do, I recommend going with the year-long all access pass. Check them out, skyboxportspicks.com. They'll email you, you your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Use the promo code Rippy R-I-P-P-E-E for 20% off any purchase. Check them out, Skybox SportsPix. Dot com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Hopefully you threw something from LB's on the grill this weekend and enjoyed watching Ole Miss win its first game of the season. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three, six ounce bacon wrapped filets for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you signed up. And then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages. I like the tri-tips. The filet burgers are delicious. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. Yeah, and that's going to be the question with them is what Will Rogers is, and you know exactly what he is, is that going to be good or not? Because those easy, perfectly on-timing throws, there's a lot of those in the air raid. And like, how much can they cater to him in this new system? and get by like is is that version of will rogers good enough because he's gonna make it through the entire season i mean i was talking to haydad about this before this year started when we were doing the preview pods and he was like look he's gonna be the quarterback because they just don't really have another option ready like Hey Dad even thought maybe his replacement wasn't on campus yet so that's really what it's going to come down to them offensively because i do think they'll be a pretty good defensive team georgia struggled a little bit Early on, I think it was only like seventeen nothing at a halftime against UT Martin. Opened it up in the second half. I don't know how much you can take away from that. But Ken K Dent played admirably, eighteen to thirty-two, threw a touchdown. Georgia runs away with it late. They just had so much better athletes. I don't really know what to make of it, and I don't know what to make of the quarterback situation yet. Well, it seemed like for the most part, Carson Beck was
1: pretty good. Yeah, I watched like none of that game. I have nothing to say. I did see it was like seven zero with like seven minutes left in the second quarter. That was a little something. <laughs> But I mean, this is UT Martin. They're probably out there playing like literal you know, scrimmage script practice shit. So that they showed nothing. I'm not worried about them at all.
2: And then Freeze just ran all over UMass. I don't know what to make of Peyton Thorne at quarterback yet. You said you did watch some of this. What do you think of the uh, first year Auburn Tigers under Freeze?
1: Uh, offensively, they looked pretty sharp. I mean, kind of what you'd expect. You know, it's not a complicated system, not that many college football offenses are. Um, Thorne looked fine. He looked Perfectly competent. Um, he looked better than he did at Michigan State, which I guess is a credit to, to freeze. Um, defensively, they, they've they got some work to do. Uh, UMass kind of from the first half kind of was going up and down the field on a little bit. Um, they kind of, you know, bend, don't break a little bit. Um, and UMass's quarterback is actually a Clemson transfer who I remember. And he's like he's not nothing as a player. He's actually pretty decent. And they had some struggles containing him a little bit early. Um, they definitely put a whipping on them kind of starting the second quarter on, which is, I guess, it was kind of a like Hugh free statement. Let's score as much as we can for this kind of deal, uh, which you've seen in the past. So I mean, nothing massive to take away from it, um, but they looked they looked perfectly fine. Uh, I think you'll learn a lot more about them next week when they go to Cal, because actually Cal looked pretty damn good week one.
2: Same thing with Texas A&M. That was the most obvious. We're going to score a bunch of points and make it seem like everything is fine over here offensively. And, again, I don't, I, I, I can't wait for that Miami game. Like, what is that actually going to look like? Is that a Bobby Petrino offense or a Jimbo offense? It was a good start for Wagman throws for five touchdowns, seeming they look pretty sharp against a really bad team. But, like, next week is kind of when you learn, is this team any good? Is this any different or is this same old Jimbo?
1: It is my nuclear whale all time, you know, max play bet of the week. Next week, I will be taking Texas A&M minus four and a half at Miami.
2: But this is an anti-Christaball position more so. This than a is pro, an anti-Christaball That is correct.
1: I have been waiting for this line to come out for no less than two months because if A&M was favored by less than a touchdown, I was going to absolutely hammer them, and I will be doing it uh, against Chris Ball in Miami. It, this is just a total crystal ball, big game fade against a team that is just way more talented than them. Um, I didn't, you know, Texan and they played New Mexico. They look fine. They look exactly, they've looked every year, which is really damn good defensively, even though eventually it all falters and then offensively Wegman is a very, he's a good quarterback and they have Noah Thomas and Evan Stewart are like legit outside threats. They've got like a three headed duo and on Moss and Daniels, and the Reuben Owens kid. Uh, I mean, they, they, they have talent. They've always had talent. Um, you're like you said, you're going to learn so much about them against Miami this, this upcoming week. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to announce that Jimbo figured it out or that he hired the right guys. I don't even know if Trino's calling the plays. Nobody does. Uh, but I'm going to absolutely hammer AM and I will live with the results no matter what they are. Um, but I, they look pretty, look pretty stingy, I'm not going to lie, but it's game one against New Mexico.
2: And last year, that game was, before we knew how disastrous A&M was going to be, that was a game where it kind of made sense in hindsight, where I thought Miami looked a hell of a lot worse than A&M did and the score didn't necessarily justify it, but that's because of the amount of issues that Texas A&M ended up having on offense, and man... They just look like a team that was well, much worse coached and much less prepared in that game, and you seem to think it'll be the case this year. So I'm fascinated to look at that one. And then obviously the main one of the weekend, um, LSU and Florida State, Boy, did LSU struggle in that second half, and they did not look like a team that I thought they would. They were kind of a trendy pick after winning the West last year. Florida State really just kind of ran all over them in the second half. What did you make of that? I don't understand what they're doing with the Perkins thing. I thought 2022, Harold Perkins, probably if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. They seem to be moving him around and learning a new position. I don't know why he was pretty good in the old one, but uh, that was alarming performance for LSU. It it
1: was very – Interesting game. It was a very bizarre game flow game uh, because, you know, LSU goes down in two plays at the one yard line and then gets another penalty uh, from AM and then just gets stuffed in like almost six straight plays. They come down. A&M, I mean, Florida State scores. LSU goes back down and scores. And it's like, okay, we got some weird stuff. I mean, LSU fumbles a punt and then AM and inter- m I mean, Florida State – God, I cannot get that out of my head. Florida State throws interception on the very next play – Um, And then LSU is, you know, they're up at halftime, 17 to 14. And the second half was just an absolutely bizarre ass beating where Florida State scored on every single possession, the second half and LSU looked completely incompetent on the offensive line Uh, receivers dropped massive plays. Look, if you, I watched whiskey and wine with Moscona and T-Bob after, which is just, you know, glorious. It was incredible. They are. I get why people don't like them, because they're obviously LSU fans, but, but they're watch entertaining. Out. They are massively entertaining. It is hilarious. Um, and they were they were honest. They absolutely shat on LSU. Um, I don't think LSU is a bad football team. I think Florida State might be really, really good. And look, I said it last week when you were asking me about this game. I was like, I think Florida State's wide receivers are going to be a massive matchup problem for LSU's DBs. And I guess I'll give myself slight credit. That was absolutely the case, kind of throughout the entire game. They had drops in the first half to make things different. The thing I was not expecting was an LSU offensive line that is. I mean, they're not bad players. Like, I mean, Will Campbell and Emory Jones or Bookends that played as freshmen last year. They have experience on the inside, but they got manhandled. By Florida State's defensive line and linebackers. Um, it, it was just it's hard to really take a whole lot. I mean, LSU could have been up 21-7, and they just, you know, had some really questionable play callings uh in the red zone, whereas Florida State converted almost every time. So I'm not writing LSU off. I'm really giving a lot of props to Florida State. Uh, they outcoached LSU, they outprepared LSU, they were more physical than LSU, they were more dynamic than LSU on both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, it was pretty alarming. Brian Kelly, after the game, was saying, like, this is not the team I thought we were. You know, we thought we were Georgia, and we came out and laid an absolute egg. Um, LSU was really bad on the road last year. And this was a shocking. I tweeted before the game that, I mean, it was 90 to 10, 80 to 20 LSU. I mean, sorry, 80 to 20 Florida State uh, in a neutral site game. I know it's in Orlando, but LSU fans are top three in traveling. And so either they just fucking hate Orlando, which I think is very apt because that be fair. Sucks. I've been there,
2: been to that stadium. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it a great review.
1: Yeah, no. So they weren't, they did not show up. Um, and Florida State absolutely did. And they, I mean, it was, it was an ass beating and they're going to have to look themselves in the mirror. Look, they lost this game last year. Not in the same fashion or with the same expectations, but they were able to rebound um, and be just fine and win the West. Uh, so I I don't know. It, it's it's week one. It's a lot to take from it. I think this is why the 14 playoff is so stupid, because now LSU is going to be like they have to basically go undefeated to get in there. Um, and I don't think they're going to do that. But they they have a lot of things to look into. In Florida State, I mean, Jesus Christ. Keon Coleman, I think Ole Miss would like to have him. Yeah, Uh, LSU would like to have him. They didn't offer – I tweeted this again, and I I don't even tweet that much. They had the opportunity to offer him twice, and they didn't do it either time. And he went and scored three touchdowns, mossing all their DBs. Uh, So, I mean, it was just really, really impressive from the Knowles.
2: Yeah, it really was, and I agree with the four-team playoff because it's kind of the antithesis of what football is. Like, you're disqualifying teams that could still be candidates to be one of the best eight teams in the country or whatever it is at the end of the year because of how they played on a night in September in early September, which is, again, I mean, you don't see that at the NFL. Hell, that time you only see it at the high school level where teams turn into different versions of themselves, and it, it, it really penalizes you for playing a game that matters at all within the first two, Which is years. why no
1: one played any games that mattered this week. Right. Right. And that's, that's the whole thing. And I mean, I have a whole rant on how the 14 playoff is actually what ruined college football. I'll save that for another day, but it it is bizarre that like, even after the game where LSU, you know, my whole childhood had been playing these games. These like really big first games. I mean, Oregon and TCU, and they played Wisconsin twice. Uh, They used to play Virginia tech back in the day when Virginia tech was really good. They would do home and homes with them. They played Texas, and now, like, LSU fans are like, why are we doing this again? Like, why are we playing – not playing just a week zero game or playing, like, rambling week one and moving this game to week two? I mean, you've seen other teams start to do it. Um, I mean, Ole Miss has started to do it this year. I mean, Alabama has started to do it more and more. Playing that week two game is the big one. Uh, I mean, that's not an excuse. I mean, when you're a team the caliber of LSU or Florida State or Alabama or Ole Miss, like, fuck that. You should win the game. Like, you know, that's that's the end of the day. That's the goal. Uh, but it was I mean, it was eye opening. It was pretty damn bad for the Tigers.
2: It'll be uh, it, it was a nice, uh, easy, easy, easing our way into the season. Again, I just don't know a whole hell of a lot about any of these teams, but uh, that's kind of what the early piece of the season is for. It is now time for the fastest growing segment on American. soil. it is soccer corner. I received a couple of texts about this uh, result. Yesterday, I actually had it on Saturday morning uh, before I went to the Ole Miss game. Nottingham Forest knocks off Chelsea. Uh, It seems like Chelsea, despite spending a ton of money on players, could continue to be
1: a billion dollars. A billion dollars.
2: That's absurd. (laughs) And they lose to Nottingham Forest. It was an electric environment. It was uh, it was fun, fun TV in the morning for sure. But uh, tough, tough result for Chelsea. I I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go for them this year. But uh, it would be kind of hilarious if they were hovering around the relegation zone. I don't think it's that bad. But, man, it was – they did not look like a very, very well-put-together club. And uh, that was really the only one I saw. Um, And Saudi Castle struggling to start the year. But uh, it seems like their schedule was pretty tough. What do you make of the Premier League through a couple weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, Chelsea is kind of just a carbon copy of what they were last year, a bunch of new players and new positions that are really expensive that have just completely not figured it out. Um, they looked completely inept against a Nottingham Forest team that is not bad. I mean, they have, like, real talent. They've, they've signed some really solid players that I'm sure even Chelsea would be like, man, we could have gotten that guy for $30 million instead of 100 Um, But, I mean, it's, it's a really unimpressive showing. It's at home. And I know it's it seems different, but, like, playing on the road in these Premier League games is, like, a real thing. It is absolutely difficult to get results on the road, especially against top six teams. And, I mean, Chelsea was just kind of manhandled. I mean, it was pretty embarrassing uh, from the amount of money they've spent. And we, this is like we're rehashing the same conversation with that club. Um, so until further notice, I consider them a complete non-factor in winning this thing or in Europe. And I'm not ready for you know their relegation zone yet because I don't think that's the case either. But they're going to be from 9-8-9 to 12-14, I think, for the entire season unless things dramatically change. They uh, never
2: – they got hammered by uh West Ham, who is beating Brighton, and then they beat, I believe, Lutton Town on Friday. They're 4-0 toward the top of the league. They are they a strong team? Is this a top four, top six team in the league? We don't talk about West Ham a lot. That'sn't that a London club with a pretty decent bit of history.
1: Yeah, no, we we mentioned them like slightly last week. They they've had a really good start to the season. I continue to expect a massive regression to the mean on this team. Okay, uh, they've done decent in the transfer. I think they have a, a manager that's just way in over his head and has been. Uh, but they've kind of treed out a few, a few results here. Uh, they're up there now. I don't expect them to stay up there. But it's a big London club that's it's put in a lot of money. Uh, Into their squad and you know it's they're showing a little bit of it they've done some decent business over the years, uh, but I don't see them competing up there with like Tottenham and City and Liverpool and Arsenal.
2: It seems like we're getting very similar to where we were last year of Man City's going to roll through this league, but we did have one challenger in Arsenal last year who hung around, led the league for a lot of the season, and then finally regressed to what you thought it would play out. If there's an Arsenal this year, if there's a team that can challenge and scare Man City a bit, who is it, do you think, so far through four matches or whatever?
1: As crazy as it might seem, Tottenham, after losing Harry Kane, might be that team. Um, They have looked just exceptional. And their first four matches, um, they have just been really, really tough. They've scored a lot of goals. They've looked really balanced. Uh, defensively, they've been better than they've been in a while. Um, look, it's only game week four. There's a lot of time left, but it, there's kind of that surprise team. And, you know, of course, look, Tottenham is not winning this league. They don't win trophies. That's just not what they do. Uh, but they've looked a little bit, uh, even a little bit better than Arsenal, their their cross-city rival. Um, Arsenal is still perfectly good. They've gotten their Gabby Jesus' is back. Um, they p- took one to Man United, which we'll talk about in a little bit this weekend. Uh, so they're absolutely not out of it. Uh, Liverpool, depth-wise, I'm still concerned about them, but they've looked pretty sharp and pretty um, solid at home. So they'll be up there too, but uh, Tottenham might be that kind of like out and not out of nowhere team because Arsenal wasn't out of nowhere either, but a contender that contends longer than you'd expect.
2: Liverpool was the last team to win the Premier League that wasn't Man City, if I'm correct on that. But we don't ever talk about them as contending to challenge for the league anymore. Is that, I mean, that's a big club, big money spending club. I feel like we. Talk, I mean, you're a Man United fan, so we talk about that. Chelsea disaster, we talk about that a lot. I don't feel like we've discussed Liverpool hardly at all, despite them kind of consistently being in that top three, top five
1: area. Absolutely. I mean, you're 100% right. We've kind of discounted them. and We probably should not. The issue with them over the past two years is despite them being like really solid and having elite players, they've just had massive injuries um, all over that squad. And this year was like the first year where they kind of sold off some of their older guard and bought in some new players that have uh, they played really well so far this year. So I, we should not be discounting them. Um, there was a lot of rumors about Mohammed Salah going to Saudi Arabia for one of these absorbent contracts. He did not leave. So that's big for them. Um, I think finding a little more consistency, goal scoring out of their striker is something they need, and they've got guys there to do it that are really talented. Um, So I mean, they're in the same pool as Tottenham. They've they've been pretty pretty solid so far. It's just a matter of them staying healthy and consistent because that's been their biggest issue the past few years.
2: My favorite area down toward the bottom, relegation. We talked about Everton. Apparently they're a very historic club. They're really struggling to start the year. They only scored two goals, allowed eight. It seems like if there's a big name that could end up becoming relegated, it's probably them. Otherwise, it's probably Burnley, Town, Sheffield United, whatever your typical yo-yo club suspects. Uh this yeah. seems real, 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 real bad. You mentioned they're a badly managed team. Are they uh like would you be shocked at all if they actually went down?
1: No, I wouldn't be. They're really, really bad. Um, they played Sheffield United early morning on Saturday, and I had Sheffield plus a half goal um, on the road at Everton. And Everton was just incredibly lucky to get a result. They ended up tying that game uh, with Sheffield. They they just they're just not very good. They they have no depth. They've had done bad business. You know, it's everything you can't do as a team like them, where like they have money and they have history. But if you're poorly run, it shows. Believe me, it shows. And it's shown for them that they've been really inept. They will be fighting in the bottom for the entire time.
2: Man U, not a great week?
1: It's it's a conflicting week. Um, I don't know if you saw the game on Sunday. I'm sure – I guess you didn't. So they're playing on the road at Arsenal. It, uh, the Achilles heel of this United team um, early in the season has been goal scoring and injuries. And then for the past two years, it's been performing away from home against top sides. And they come out against Arsenal, and they looked really good. I mean, Rashford hit a worldy strike to go up 1-0. And then in United fashion, they gave up a goal and literally a minute and a half later. Uh, so it's 1-1 for the majority of the game. And then this is what happens whenever you have just done bad business and don't have squad depth. They put in two defenders who were unable to defend at the highest level in McGuire and Johnny Evans, guys who you don't know, but anybody who follows soccer knows that they should just not be on the field on the road. 1-1 stoppage time and Arsenal scores one goal. Well, actually, before we get to that, United goes up 2-1 on an absolutely bizarre offside call on like the 88th minute. I mean, maybe it's taking the game um, and they called offsides. It was, in my opinion, incredibly controversial. It just was like not in the spirit of the game, this offensive offside call. Um, and they put in the new kid, Hoisland, the guy we've been talking about, the 21-year-old striker who looked really good. So there was a lot of positives to take. But at the end of the day, they have no squad depth. They have injuries, and it showed. And in this league, man, two minutes with the wrong guys on the pitch, and you will show it. And Arsenal scored two goals in three minutes in stoppage time to end up winning 3-1. And it was like there were some positives and there were some negatives. It was just a typical United road game against a top team.
2: So yeah. there was like the way it looks is not nearly what it was at all. That was a one-one game and they actually went up two to one and then two goals and stoppage time makes it look like it wasn't close at all when they actually played pretty well for most of
1: the match. They they definitely were not the dominant side in the match. Um I think Arsenal controlled possession in the final third much better than United did, but they did what they've learned to do is they've been a counter-attacking team, which is You know, it's not exactly what you want to be. You want to be able to hold possession, but we have wingers who just have not been able to do that so far. Um, But they converted chances that they had. And that's like kind of the name of the game these days. It's all about efficiency. Uh, But Arsenal was wearing them down kind of throughout the second half, just couldn't convert, and they had plenty of opportunities to do so. But there were some definite positives to take away from it. I think even the manager said after the game, he's like not the result we wanted, but we saw things that we hadn't seen the past few games. Um, you know, it's it's a disappointing result when you absolutely could have won and ended up losing by two goals, which looked a lot worse than it was. But at the end of the day, that's – your standards are your standards, and it's not losing by two goals on the road.
2: This has been the fastest-growing segment on American Soil Soccer Corner. He is Weldon Rodenberg. Good to be back doing a post-game show once again, and we will holler at you next week, man. All right, man. See you then. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. I really appreciate Weldon's time. It's good to be doing post-game podcasts again. Thank you out there for listening. We'll be back later on this week with some Tulane-related content as the Rebels prepare for their first real test of the season. So be on the lookout for that. Thanks for listening as always. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?